0: I think we misunderstand the word good. I think whenever we think about good and evil, right and wrong, I think we're focused on following a set of rules. But What I want to explore today is that the proper definition of good and evil isn't about following rules. It's about finding joy. Hi everybody, I'm Joseph Walter, this is Loving Theology, and we're talking about the word good today we're talking about it in the context of a series where we're, we're seeing who is the one who defines good and evil for us. And of course, God is the one who defines good and evil. But before we get into that, I wanted to explore why is that so important? And, and frankly, why is it so exciting? It's something that I want you to be excited about because so often I think that we take the word good and we associate it with righteousness or rules, but there's so much more to the story. So I wanted to start by reading a few verses that I think will hopefully break down the idea that we have in our mind of what it means to be good and what that word good means, and even what the word righteous means. I think there's so much more to the story. For example, in Ecclesiastes 7, starting verse 16, it says, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? I think that's one of those verses that whenever we read it, we go, Huh? Are you sure? Um, there's, there's another verse in Colossians 2, starting verse 20. It says, if, the, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Think of those rules that that I was talking about. Referring to the things that that perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. These rules have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But... They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What he's getting at there is that these rules that you make up and that you follow, they don't actually help you stop from doing evil. They don't actually help prevent you from evil. They don't actually produce good. That sometimes whenever we focus on righteousness and rules, we miss the mark in terms of what is actually good and evil. And there's one verse that I think really highlights it very well, that there's a difference between what we would call righteousness and what it, what God would call good it's Romans 5 7 it says for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die now I want you to understand what I'm saying here I'm not saying that righteousness is wrong or anything like that of course righteousness is something that's extolled in the scriptures but what I'm getting at is I think that whenever we use the word righteous we often use it in a in a context that that defines something that isn't actually about what's good Like whenever Paul was talking there in Colossians and explaining, you know, all of these rules that you put on yourself of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, all of those rules that make you look righteous, this self-made religion, they're not what's good. That there's so much more to good than simply following the rules, than this sort of man-made righteousness. And, and, And think about it this way. Think about the story of creation in Genesis. In Genesis, there's a story of creation and think about how many times God says it is good. And in emphasizing what's good, I'll ask you this, where are the rules? Where are the do's and don'ts? They're not there. God's describing something as good outside of the context of rules and regulations. God is meaning something so much more to the word good. And I think really there's, think about the word, the word good. Good is a word that should get us excited, get us interested in something that is good for us, something that benefits us. Whereas the word righteousness, I think at least our meaning of that word, whenever we use it, We're thinking about rules and something that feels weighty and and an obligation for us and a weight that we have to bear, something that's hard to do, something that we, we sort of do begrudgingly almost in a way. And so I think that whereas we understand the word righteous in the concept of following the rules, that that's the goal. The goal of righteousness is to follow the rules, to do what's right. I think that the word good brings a different connotation. Instead, it emphasizes our benefit as the goal that it's not just about following the rules for the sake of following the rules, that what's good is good because it's good for us. And we saw last time when we talked that God alone is the one who has the authority to define good and evil, that that is part of his role and his responsibility as God, that because he made things, he knows, and because of his wisdom, he knows what is good and what's evil. But sin is the place where we take on that role of God. And we try to decide for ourselves what's good and evil. And whenever we do that, we are repeating the sin of Adam and Eve because they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So whenever we focus on what is good and evil and try to decide for ourselves what's good and what's evil, we do exactly what Adam and Eve did. And here's the problem with that. The problem is that whenever we decide what's good and what's evil, we will inevitably get it wrong. And here's why that matters. God explains to us the implications of getting it wrong here in Isaiah 5.20. He says, Woe to those who call evil good, and call good evil. Who put darkness for light, and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. I want you to understand that what what God is saying here is that he's telling us that we will get it wrong. Just like I was saying, that whenever we choose for ourselves what's good and what's evil, we're going to look at something that is actually good, something that God has made good, and we're going to call it evil. And then we're going to come over here to something that's evil, something that actually truly is evil. And we're going to look at it and we're going to call it good. So we're going to get it mixed up. But then he goes further. He doesn't just stop there. He says, here's why that's a problem. Here's why I don't want you to do that. And he gives two implications to whenever we get it wrong. He says that whenever you get that wrong, you're gonna get confused, not just between good and evil. As a result, you're gonna get confused between darkness and light. And also he says, you're gonna get confused between bitter and sweet. And I wanna explore what each of those means and why this matters and why the proper definition of good matters. So let's start with that first one. What is God describing whenever he says that we've put darkness for light and light for darkness? There are so many verses in the Bible that talk about this imagery that use this imagery of light and darkness. And they put it in the context of knowing what's what, knowing what's true, of being able to see clearly. Take for example, Proverbs 4, 19. It says, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Or John 11:10, 10, where Jesus says, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Or Matthew 15, 14, again, Jesus talking, let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. And notice over and over he's describing here somebody who's walking around and doesn't know where they're going, doesn't know over what they're stumbling. And you see that, that present falling into a pit, stumbling, stumbling. And the reason that that's there is because it's describing for us the fact that we don't even, if we're walking around and we're calling good, evil, evil, good, we don't know which one is which, then we're gonna end up stumbling over something that hurts us. We're gonna end up falling into a pit, we're gonna end up injuring ourselves because we don't know where we're going. I mean, if you have kids, then you know this, that if you walk around at night with lights off, you're gonna end up stepping on a Lego or something. You're gonna end up injuring yourself. And the reason that we injure ourselves is because we don't know, we can't see. And so this is the effect of getting the definition of good and evil wrong. Okay, I wanna make this maybe a little bit more tangible by talking about an example. An example where we take something that is light and we call it darkness. And we take something that is darkness and we call it light. And specifically what I want to talk about is the idea of having faith in God, the idea of believing that God exists. You see, our culture honestly describes that as foolishness. It basically has this this storyline that if you believe that God made the world, if you believe in a God, then you're living in the dark ages, that that you're lost as to how all of the things work and you're unable to explain the way that the universe works. But we've explored this further in the past um, in a post that I called, Is Faith Reasonable? what we saw is that God actually serves to explain why the world works the way that it does. That if we don't allow for a creator, that we have a hard time actually explaining how things came to be, how the world knows and follows these rules and there's these cosmological constants that if they were changed ever so slightly then the world, the universe itself as a whole would not exist. And it's so specific the way that the universe was set up And actually, science itself is based on the discovery of what's called natural laws or natural order. And the existence of those laws and orders, we we can't explain without the evidence of God. That God really serves to help us understand the scientific evidence that we discover. But here's what ends up happening. We take this light of believing that God exists and the way that it helps us to understand the scientific observations that we discover, the way that it helps us to understand the rules that we uncover that that undergird the fabric of our universe, like gravity and things like that. And we take that light of believing that God exists that helps us to see those things clearly, and we call it darkness. And then on the other side, we, we take this idea of rejecting the idea of God, rejecting God's existence, and saying that there is no creator, The reality of what happens then is that we're left in the dark, that we can't understand how these things came to be. It's still a mystery to us then. How in the world did all of these things happen? We're truly left in the dark there. And what do we call that darkness? We call it being enlightened. We call it being enlightened to believe that there is no God, even though it leaves us in the dark as to how things came to exist. You see, at a fundamental level, any time that we take something that's good and we call it evil, we take something that's evil and we call it good, What God is explaining to us is that we are inevitably rejecting light and choosing darkness, that we are substituting darkness for light, that instead of living in the light and knowing what's what, we're choosing to live in the dark and be lost. You see, think about it this way. Whenever we get these two things confused, whenever we get good and evil confused, what ends up happening is that we go from the opportunity to know what the truth is to being forced to live in a world where we don't even know if truth exists, Or we don't even know if truth is a real thing. We get so confused to the point that we don't even, it's not that we can't tell what the truth is. We're not even sure there is truth. That's the result of choosing to live in darkness, of getting good and evil confused. That's why this matters. And to maybe, maybe even put a finer point on it. Remember how all of those verses described the injury that getting light and darkness confused causes. That living in the darkness causes us to stumble. It causes us to fall into a pit. That it actually hurts us. See, whenever we live in the darkness, we don't know what the implications of our decisions are. We don't see the way that these things hurt us. And I want to explore that through, further through the other phrase in Isaiah 5. Remember, it says getting bitter and sweet confused. You see, what this verse in Isaiah tells us is this, that whenever we call evil good, we call bitter sweet. That when we call something good evil, we, call, we take something that is sweet and call it bitter. And here's what I'm getting at, is that whenever we get this idea of good and evil mixed up, we get the ideas of what's sweet and what's bitter mixed up. And I want you to think about that imagery. Think about the word sweet. Sweet, something that's desirable, something that's pleasurable, something that's enjoyable, something that we, something that we want. And that is what's good. Whenever God calls something good, It's because it's sweet. And then think about the word bitter. That bitter is something that's undesirable, something that's unpleasant, something that's painful, something that causes us harm, something that really does hurt us. That's bitter, and that's why God calls it evil. So you see, whenever God is teaching us about what's good, whenever he's calling something good and telling us why it's good, what he's he's not trying to do is he's not trying to limit our joy. He's not trying to hold us back from things that are pleasurable and enjoyable. And I think sometimes that's the way that we see it, at least subconsciously. That there's some restriction on the fun that we can have because of the fact that we have to follow these rules. But that's not the case at all. And we talk some more about this in in a post where I talk about satisfying our desire for pleasure. And I'll put a link for that below in case you wanna hear some more on this. But here's the thing is that whenever he gives us the instructions about what's good, it's not to limit us from having joy. It's so that we can truly have the fullness of joy. Think about it this way. God made the thing that you want. God made the thing that's enjoyable. For example, sex, God made it. And what's more is that he made you, he made us, and he knows how we work. He knows this good thing that he made, and he knows us, and he knows how the two were meant to work together. And whenever we let him define what's good and evil, then he, then what he's defining for us is the way that that system works for us to enjoy the good thing that he wants us to enjoy. But whenever we define good and evil, we get the gears wrong. And they start grinding the gears. We start breaking the machine and causing ourselves pain because we've gotten confused between what's good and what's evil. And to put it the other way, we've gotten confused between what's bitter and what's sweet. Like take, for example, the idea of marriage. Versus the idea of adultery or even pornography. And you look at these things and the reality is that God calls pornography. God calls adultery evil. But what he's saying there is he's saying that is bitter. But think about, and and then as a contrast to that, he looks at marriage and he calls it good. He calls it sweet. But think about the way that our culture has almost trained us to think oppositely. You know, maybe, yes, it says, yeah, the right thing to do is to be um, honorable in your marriage, to not commit adultery. But the sweet thing to do, the pleasurable thing to do is to commit adultery. You see, we get these things confused. We look at adultery, we look at pornography, and we say pleasurable, we say sweet. And we look at marriage and we say hard, difficult, bitter. We've confused what is good and what's bitter, rather than allowing God to tell us, and trusting him through the process. And as a result, we take something that is sweet and we call it bitter. We take something that is actually sweet, actually pleasurable, actually enjoyable, and we put it in the light, in the the clothes of bitterness. And then we take something that is actually bitter, something that actually brings sorrow, something that is likely actually producing death in our marriages, that it's the very thing that's feeding the pain in our marriage. But we're saying, no, that's the pleasurable thing but the reality is that it's the one that's causing the bitterness. You see, what I want you to see here is that God doesn't call things evil or good arbitrarily, that there's a reason that he calls it evil. There's a reason that he calls it good. There's a reason that he wants us to pursue good things. You see, it's not about rules that keep us from being able to do these pleasurable things. That's not what's good. What's good is that it allows us to experience the pleasure in those things. That's what makes something good. And what makes something evil is that it actually takes what God intended for good and it causes harm. That's what makes something evil. You see, because we are his kids, he doesn't want us to experience harm. He doesn't want us to experience the pain that sin causes. So whenever God calls something evil, it's because he hates it. He doesn't want us to do it. And why does he hate it? Why is it evil? Because of the way that it hurts us. You see, it's because he loves us That he defines for us what's evil. Whenever he calls something evil, it's in the context of his love for us. Because he loves us, he calls it evil. Why? Because it hurts us. That's why it's evil. And the same is true for what he calls good. That whenever he calls something good, it's because it's good for us. Because it's beneficial to us. Because it's sweet. Because it's pleasurable. Because it ultimately leads to our joy. Yes, some of the things that are good for us can be painful in the moment, but ultimately they work out in us these issues of sin to get that sin out of us because of the way that that sin hurts us. And that once we have that fear and that anxiety worked out in us, that we're able to then experience joy. That's why God calls something good. So whenever we look to God to define good and evil for us, he works to teach us what's good for us, what's harmful to us, what's going to actually bring us joy, and what's going to actually bring us pain. So rather than trusting our own definition of good and evil, that ultimately leads us down a road where we take something that hurts us, and we say, that sounds good. That looks good to me. And we go down that road, and we look at something that's actually good for us, and we say, "Ugh, that looks hard. That looks undesirable. I don't want to do that. That's what happens whenever we define it for ourselves but if we instead of trusting our own definition we look to god and we say teach me help me learn then we can look at something that he calls good and trust that it actually will bring us joy that it actually will be beneficial to us that maybe it doesn't look pleasurable to us but that's our eyes that's our judgment and we know that our judgment is wrong that we trust his judgment and we can see the fruits on the other side, that it will be good seed that will produce good fruits because he has called it good. So as we begin to see these things that take on God's role of defining good and evil for us, as we begin to see these things that we lean on to define good and evil for us, rather than God, I wanna wanna do that with excitement because it's an exciting thing to find. Whenever you realize something that, that you're looking at is actually bitter, even though you thought that it was sweet, you begin to see the things that you thought were alleviating your depression, the things that you thought were alleviating your anxiety are actually contributing to it. The things that you thought were enabling your joy are actually holding you back from joy. And as a result, whenever we have the proper definition of good and evil, we refuse to accept anyone else's definition of good and evil, but we rely wholly on God's definition. That's the thing that actually brings us the fullness of joy. So be sure to subscribe and hit the bell as we go through this journey because you don't want to miss all of these opportunities where you can begin to see clearly, begin to live in the light and understand and know what is actually good for you, what is actually contributing to your harm. Let's do that together. I hope that this message was helpful for you today and I appreciate you joining us.